This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Take a minute to make an end-of-the-year donation to Life of the Law. It's your donation that makes it possible for our team of journalists and scholars to produce and publish the episode you're about to hear. Whether it's $10, $20, $50, or $100, go to lifeofthelaw.org and support award-winning investigative journalism today and for years to come. Thank you. Mr. Chief Justice. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Our opinion next turns to the problem of what the judicial role should be. I look for reasons to like, you know, let's get together, let's all pull our food and let's cook together and let's just have this big celebration and everybody leave full and happy. This is Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Traditions. We all have them. Some good, some not so good. Think for a minute. When you were a kid, what were your holiday traditions? Do you still follow them today? Do you put up lights, maybe make a special cookie, or visit relatives? What if the law made it impossible for you to follow your traditions? For millions of Americans, the men and women locked up in our jails and prisons, holidays can be especially hard. So each year, people living in the Bay Area go inside San Quentin State Prison to sing holiday songs inside the cell blocks. It's a tradition. But what's it like to live inside the prison over the holidays? From inside San Quentin State Prison, Shadid Wallace-Stepter, Rasan Thomas, and Emil DeWeaver got together and produced this story, Traditions. same thing we do in Christmas is the same thing we do on birthdays or other holidays and that's we smoke weed. We smoke a lot of weed. Um, <laughs> I remember uh, the last <laughs> Christmas I was out, um, we went and we had about a quarter ounce of weed um, with, with a lot of blunt paper and what we did was like we'd get in someone's car. The last car that we were in was my car. It was a 68 Camaro and we turned the music up really loud we're playing three times crazy. Uh, it's all so sick and it's all so sick and it's all so simple was the, was the track. Uh, by, the, by the way, that's a fantastic song. Thank you. Thank you. 
Um, and like we'll go park somewhere, like in, uh, in the Ben's Burgers parking lot or Quarter Pounder, um, roll up all the windows, and we'll light two blunts and keep them in rotation. So for the people that don't know, can you explain what a blunt is? So a blunt is, is when you take a cigar, cut it open, dump out the tobacco, uh, and then crush up marijuana in it and roll it up so that it's like super big. So you could put like a whole uh, dub sack in one, um, uh, in one blunt. A dub sack is $20 worth of weed. Um, and so we would roll up blunts. So we'd roll them all up. So it'd be like, you know, anywhere from five to ten blunts. Um, and then we have a bunch of Hamvatampas, which are cigars with wooden tips. And um, we would smoke them two at a time and pass them around the car. And we would be like five to six deep in a car that really shouldn't hold any more than four. But, you know, we all got to get in there. Uh, <laughs> and so we would sit and we would smoke and we would bump music very loud. Um, and we would just like hot, what we call hot box. Um, and please for the people that don't know describe hot boxing right and like I'm feeling really nostalgic right now right because like <laughs> you just said everything that you said like I completely understand and identify with right so for the people that don't know what hot boxing is please explain it so hot box is uh, basically so you keep all the windows rolled up so it becomes like a, 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 a sauna but instead of steam smoke it's marijuana smoke so there's like this intensified contact feeling, um, and it just it, it it makes you higher, and so we hotbox. And when we're done hotboxing, then we would like roll the windows down, smoke a tampa to like again be higher, and we would drive around. Uh, so depending on what kind of what time of day it was or night, uh, we would go to where. Uh, there were women, um, and we would um, we would talk to them. We'd get phone numbers. We'd like you know act up. Um, uh, sometimes we would start sideshows. Um, we would eat lots of food, and that's how we celebrated birthdays. So again, for the people, for the layman's out there that don't know what a sideshow is, right? Uh -huh. um, Please explain, like, what a sideshow is, and I think it's safe to say that sideshows originated in Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty safe to say that. I think it's safe. To, I think you know people have sideshowed like in like every hood, probably across the United States, but it's a specific way that it's done that's like been, I feel like, uh, made famous by you know the exploits of the men in Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> so what's a sideshow? So a sideshow. So think of. Um, Think of a rodeo, right? Like you go to a rodeo, cowboys come out on horses and they on bulls and they just give a show. People are watching and they're like, oh my God, it's fantastic, dangerous, and also like awesome. Um, so th so it's a sideshow is an urban rodeo with cars instead of horses. Uh, and so what you will see is people uh, blocking off intersections or blocking off stretches of road and doing tricks in their cars, whether that's donuts, figure eights, figure eights um, and just basically smoking up the place. Um, and that's a sideshow. 
and people watch. They cheer. It's uh, it's exciting. It's um, it's it's irresponsible. But like when you're 16, like you know, you can expect irresponsible behavior. Um, and so that's what a sideshow is. Um, and we did it, you know, to you know, impress girls and to what's called side on each other, which is basically like my stuff is fly. Look at me do this. Uh, <laughs> so that's a sideshow. Okay. Thank you for that. <laughs> I know it's funny, right? Like, as you talk, there's certain stuff that I haven't heard be said in, like, years, unless you're from, like, the Bay Area. Like, smoke them up. Like, people don't say that. If you're not from the Bay Area, people do not talk about, like, a way that you burn rubber. The burn, when you hold the brake and hit the gas and burn the rubber off your tires on your wheel car, on the, on the rear end of your car. People don't call that so smoke them up yeah. outside of the Bay Area. <laughs> yeah, it's true. One, two, three. Oh, come My birthdays, man, were pretty simple. Uh, a, a good birthday for me when I was a kid would be my mom would bake a cake. She was excellent at baking these home-baked cakes. And I would get a present. It was pretty simple. As I got older, uh, as an adult, a good birthday would, for me was just spending some time with my girl. Just whatever special event she had planned up, whether it be a dinner or a romantic evening, that was a, a, a good birthday for me. Uh, my favorite holidays growing up as a kid was Christmas. Christmas was big because uh, we grew up in the uh, Atlantic Towers, which is in Brownsville, which is a neighborhood full of a bunch of different housing projects. But we were upper class poor. And so I didn't even know we were poor because compared to my neighbors, we, it felt like we were rich. And Christmas, like at 9, 10, 11, was this big event where you'll wake up early in the morning, like as early as possible, and you'll look under that tree and it would be everything you can imagine under there that you wanted as a kid, like Legos and action figures and video games or uh, whatever the latest video game that year was from the Atari 2600 to when it elevated to ColecoVision to the 5200 or whatever games I wanted that I didn't already have and uh, clothes. My mother loved Azad. I wasn't in the fashion as a 9 or 10 year old but uh, my mother was and she would give me a bunch of stuff. Only problem was she loved red and she just didn't get it that her kid does not like red. I don't want to wear no red corduroy pants, ma. But other than that, uh... <laughs> <laughs> red corduroy pants. Oh, my God. Oh, man. But uh, other than that, uh, Christmas was just big, man. It was just a whole bunch of gifts unwrapped. So at least at least 10 presents each. Uh, it was amazing. Um, and we tried to make it good for my moms, too. Me and my little brother would always, like, save up all year uh, to buy my moms, like, a piece of jewelry or something. So it was always big, man. And, of course, she would have the cookies. Uh, the, the, the fantastic breakfast would go down with the French toast with real cinnamon and scrambled eggs and all kinds of sausages. And, oh, man, Christmas was excellent. Pump, pump.
to lay before the king. So Thanksgiving was always a big tradition. We would always go to one of the aunt, the many aunts and extended aunts homes in my family. And it was always like big. It'll always be like turkey cooked, ham cooked, uh, maybe some type of roast, a variety of at least seven or eight flavors of pies and cakes. Sweet potato pie is huge. And I think not just my household, but the you know, African-American households. Sweet potato pie on Thanksgiving and Christmas is like a big deal. And, uh, you know, greens and candied yams and macaroni and cheese and, you know, the whole nine. Stuffing, you know, my dad always made, like he was famous for this stuffing because he would put walnuts and apples in it. And somehow it worked fantastically. But on Thanksgiving, man, uh, me and my cousins, we always played football. And for some reason on Thanksgiving, I always got hurt. Like, <laughs> with, at, like every time. Like, you can expect that I'm going to get hurt, right? So I think uh, the Thanksgiving that's most memorable to, memorable to me is when I think I was about 11 years old. And so we go to my Aunt Doris's house. And uh, so this Thanksgiving, <laughs> so we got, we got, for some reason, man, we, we got dressed up. And, like, I had on slacks, and I had on, like, these loafers with the dress socks on under it. You know it's big. Like, you know you dressed up when you got on black socks, right? Like, I had on the black socks, and, and like, me and my brothers, we had on, like, these button-up, like, white shirts that button up to the throat. But, like, a sweater vest on over it, right? You know what I mean? It wasn't even a sweater vest. It was, like, like a V-neck button-up sweater, that we put on, right? And so, for some reason that day, the only people that's playing football is my older brother, myself, <laughs> and my cousin Pooh, right? Now, my cousin Pooh, he's two years younger than me, but he's at least three inches and, like, 40 pounds heavier than me. But he's two years younger than me, right? But, like, I can beat him up, but, like, physically he dominates me, <laughs> right? Like, he's a better basketball player than me. He's a better football player than me. But, like, I refuse to admit this, though, right? Yeah. So this day, like, we're playing football, but we're – it's just like – it's not a game, but it's like, you know, my brother's playing quarterback, and my cousin Pooh would, like, guard me and I'd be a receiver, uh, or I would guard him while he's a receiver. But, like, every time he's a receiver this day, like, seven, eight times in a row, like, he's dogging me. He's beating me off the line. He's getting behind me, and he's burning me for, like, a touchdown, like, like a 30-yard throw every time. And I'm furious, right? Like, like I'm, I'm so upset that this dude is whooping me today. Right? Like, I can't figure it out. Can't and was, it. it was making it worse, right, is my older brother is having the time of his life, like, throwing these Joe Montana passes to my cousin Pooh, right? <laughs> and so my older brother is, like, looking at me, right? And, he's, and, 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 like, in my mind, I'm feeling like he's throwing way better balls to this dude, right? Because for one, like when I'm the receiver, I can't get off the line. He's jamming me, and like my brother is overthrowing me <laughs> every time, right? The ball is just like sailing over everything, right? And like the look on my cousin's poo face is killing me. <laughs> so, like, on. Wait, the, what, what was the look? Can you describe the look? He kind of has like. 
he's smiling a little bit, but it's more look like you can't stop me and I can and I own you, right? <laughs> this is what the look is telling me, right, in this dude's face, right? And so there's I line up to be a receiver and I'm telling myself, right, like by this time I'm filthy. My slacks is dirty, like this white shirt is done. Like a button is missing off of my button up sweater, right? Like I look, I can tell I feel horrible. Like I'm sweating, but like my collar is still buttoned up to the throat, right? Like I feel horrible, right? Yeah. But on this on this Pacific, like this pass, like I'm like, okay, I'm about to turn it around after this pass. I'm about to burn him. When I get on defense, I'm gonna shut him down, but it's about to start with like this touchdown bomb my brother's about to throw to me, right? So it's like I line up and I don't even tell my brother what I'm about to do, right? Like I'm expecting him to read my mind, like I'm going deep. <laughs> like I'm expecting him to read my mind, like listen, I'm going deep, I'm about to run straight, and I'm about to run as fast as I can. Just get the ball to me, right? Yeah. So I line up and I get off the line clean. Boom, he doesn't touch me. And my brother throws the ball, right? So the only thing that I'm doing is I'm looking up and I'm looking at the ball. So the only thing in my mind, like I'm getting under this ball and I'm about to catch it. So I take off running as fast and as hard as I can. Halfway while the ball is in the air, I'm under the ball. It's going great. Then next thing you know, I feel a boom, right? Like my thighs go out from under me. I feel like this burning sensation in both of my thighs. I ran into a parked car. Oh, shit! <laughs> I ran into a park car, right? And then not that like I just ran into a park car. I ran into a park car when I didn't think it was a car in front of me. I'm talking about, and when I ran into, I ran into it at full speed, and it laid me out. I was running so hard, bro. Like I was halfway under the car when I when I hit the car. Like I hit the car and like slid like halfway under the front of this car, right? And so when I look back up, right? Because first of all, I'm crying. I'm hurt. I feel like somebody just shot me in my legs. When I look back up, my brother and my cousin Pooh are on the ground laughing hysterically. <laughs> I'm talking about hysterically, right? But I'm so angry at my brother because, like, I'm thinking, like, why did you throw that ball so hard in that direction, right? Like, where he threw the ball at, he led right? You to the car. Yeah. <laughs> Bro, where he threw the ball at, first of all, there was no way that I was going to catch that ball inbounds. Yeah. Second of all, like, why didn't you say stop or anything? He just let me, like, run into that car, right? And then I had, like, a Charlie horse. And both of my thighs for the rest of the day. <laughs> so, How were you walking? How were you walking? Like, bro, I, I was basically like dragging my body with my th with my calves because <laughs> I could not like move my thigh muscles at all, bro. Uh, for those who don't know, in the ghetto, like we laugh at tragedy in the pain of the people we love. <laughs> yes. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. When I first got to prison, uh, I shut down, basically. So I was just, like, super depressed, and so I didn't celebrate holidays. Um, and, or, like, I tried not to acknowledge them. When I first came to prison, the first thing I did was I stopped keeping track of time. Uh, I had 67 years of life. Uh, I was 18 years old, and thinking about time was just too much for me. So I stopped keeping track of it. Uh, birthdays would come around, I'd wake up, I didn't even know it was my birthday. Like, it'd be in the middle of the day somewhere, and I might see the date, like, on a board somewhere. and be like, oh, shit, it's my birthday today. Um, so... Uh, <coughs> When I first came to prison, it was just a lot of denial of holidays and special occasions and like any day. Like I like I was I, I just tried to like block out time. And even to this day, because uh, that was like my survival mechanism for so long, I have trouble like keeping track of time. I have to write down everything. Like yeah, like you you asked me what was the date last Wednesday, I couldn't tell you. Um, uh, yeah, I don't like time is like very difficult for me to track. Yeah, when I first came to prison, the first thing that blew my mind is meet my celly. Uh, this guy was an older guy that was about maybe five foot five, but he scared the hell out of me because he told me he had been down almost 30 years on a 15 to life sentence. And when he told me that, I realized, wait a minute, when they gave me 55 to life, they mean it? I had convinced myself prior to meeting him that that was just something that was going to fix itself somehow, that it was going to work out on a pill. I wasn't really going to be there forever. And then meeting him, let me know that, man, they ain't, when they say life, they mean it. They ain't never got to let you go. And so meeting that celly hit me with the fact that life really means life. And so my prison existence became about how am I going to change that or can I change that? And accepting the fact that no matter what, it wasn't going to change overnight. It wasn't something that was going to happen anytime soon. This is my life. This is my life. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think my first experience in prison. So, yeah, when I got to the first main line that they sent me to after being convicted and going through reception was Calipatria State Prison. And I got there on June 27th at about two o'clock no about 2 30 in the afternoon and so this was the middle of summer i think it was about 114 degrees at the time and so uh i remember you know so the the buses are like the buses that you transported on are like greatly air conditioned right and so when i get off the bus what, what really shocked me was how hot it was like i get out the bus and like i get step onto the ground of r and I'm like, oh my God, what is this? Like, it was like, the, it was so hot, it felt like the heat just like, it tightly embraced me. Yeah. Like everything, I'm talking about to my hand, it felt like my fingers were sweating, that's how hot it was, right? And so, we're outside for like five seconds, and then we walk into R&R, and then the climate is like perfectly controlled, it's air conditioned, it's great again, right? So I'm like, okay, cool. So we sat in there until about 2.30, we put all of our property in like this orange cart, 
they shackle all of us up. It's like nine of us on the like one chain, right? We got ankle shed, we got ankle chains on, and we're all joined at the waist by like one long like shackle. You know what I mean? Like a chain gang. It reminded me of a chain gang, right? Yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking something told me like don't be the first dude in line for some reason. Because the first guy was responsible for pushing everybody's property in his orange cart. Oh damn. Right? So we get onto the yard. And, like, the yard is separated between, like, there's a track in, like, the front of the yard. Then, like, the prison yard is separated by this track. So we're on the track, and we walk past the weight pile, right? And for some reason, like, at the time, I thought it was just, like, heat. Like, it's just absurdly hot here, right? Like, this is ridiculous. But what it was was it was tension that I was sensing, right? And so when we walk past, like, the weight pile, the weight pile is separated from the yard because the weight pile is enclosed in, like, this chain link fence. So the weight pile is, like, its own area. So on the weight pile, like, out of nowhere, I see this white dude with his shirt off and two other white guys, and they had shirts on, and they start fighting, right? And so when they fight, like, I'm looking... But it looked weird, right? It wasn't because I've seen a number of fights, right? But this fight looked different because the guy was fighting so frantically. You know what I mean? He was fighting really frantically, and it just looked like, you know, while he was fighting, I just seemed like he was in a panic, right? And so while they're sitting there fighting, they're going back and forth, boom, 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 they're fighting. Then next thing you know, the tower shoots a tear gas canister, Right in like the the area, like the immediate direction of the area. Like he didn't come close to hitting the guys that were fighting. He just shot into the weight pile. So when he shoots, the tear gas canister hits a shirt that's on a uh, on a pull up bar and sets it on fire. Oh damn! Right, the shirt sets on fire. Right, and so like what got everybody's attention, like even the dudes that was fighting. Right, it's two guys and it's three guys fighting that the shirt sets on fire. Right. And, like, they see that, and it just looks so crazy, right? Like, so everybody gets down. So we get down, and, like, I, when I get down, I get down right in front of the guy that was fighting with his shirt off, right? And so as I'm sitting down, first of all, I'm realizing it's hot. Then it slowly starts to dawn on me why this guy was fighting so frantically, right? Because when the, when the COs get on him, they get on his back. They cuff him up and they pull him on his side, right? This is like immediately in front of me. The only thing that separates me and this guy is a chain link fence. And every time he inhales and his stomach fills up, I see like four puncture wounds or what I, what I learned was puncture. I see four little holes. And every time he inhales, like a, 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 a trace of a trail of blood comes down each wound or each hole. Then I feel like, oh, and then I realize, I mean, this dude got stabbed. This dude had been, these, these dudes was stabbing him. You know what I mean? And then it hit me like, oh, this dude was fighting so hard because he was fighting for his life. Yeah. He was literally fighting for his life. You know what I mean? And so, like, as I realized that, like, they pull the guy up, they sit him up like, oh, oh, oh wait a minute, this guy's been stabbed. And, like, they got the other guys, like, about five feet away from him on their, on their stomachs, uh, handcuffed to the back. And, like, you know, they're kind of laughing like, yeah, man, and, you know, that's what you get, man. Like, that's what you get. So as they pull this guy up, right, he got all of this gravel, like, still on his stomach, right, and this dirt, like, all around, like, his puncture wounds, right? Then it just, for some reason, the weirdest thought hit me, right? Like, as he gets up, I'm, like, looking at his chest, and this dude just got stabbed. He was fighting for his life. But the first thing that came to my mind, right, is, like, 
this ground must be unbearable. And this dude was like laying on this ground with no shirt on. He probably has like second degree burns. That for some reason, that was the, the first thing that came to my mind, right? And that was my first day on the mainline prison. Traditions for me in prison is just food, man. It's, I think that's the only comfort thing we have left. So typically on, on any holiday, it's an excuse to make burritos or nachos. Those are my two favorite dishes. Or if I'm really the, uh, nostalgic, I'll make my uh, spaghetti, which I, I use with uh, what we call summer sausages. These sausages that you buy that just last forever. They just, like, never die. And uh, you chop those up and you... Uh, we, they don't sell us tomato sauce, so I have to substitute with chili with no bean sauce. And uh, that would be my tomato sauce and pour that over pasta, and, and that's my thing, man. It's simply that, just having some food and sharing, sharing, uh, making extra and share with my neighbors. And that's, that's a holiday to me. That, that chance to go play some basketball. Which you horrible at, but okay. So for a long time, I had, like, Stop celebrating holidays. Stop celebrating birthdays. Uh, but for the past like four or five years, I've been making a conscious effort to um, to start celebrating them again. And like and like Rasan says, it's generally about some form of like congregation and food. Like for for instance, this Thanksgiving, uh, me and like all my gamer buddies, we got together and we decided that we were going to spend Thanksgiving together playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like. It was, it was like a special game. We were going to make these characters, <laughs> right, and just fight each other. It was like like if you ever seen, like, wrestling, WrestleMania, like all these people come into the ring and they fight each other. Like, there's all these Like the Royal Rumble. Movie. It's like a Royal Rumble. So we made these characters to have a Royal Rumble of, like, Dungeons & Dragons nerds. Like, we don't mind calling ourselves nerds. We're good with it. And uh, one of my friends, like, he made homemade... Fudge brownies. Now, so like I've had all kinds of stuff in prison. Prison is a place of like ingenuity and creativity. So like, you know, dudes make apple pies, dudes make uh, candy, uh, and apple pies are good, but it tastes like a prison apple pie. Um, but these brownies tasted like brownies with fudge in them, and they were no less than two inches thick. They might have, some of them were like three. This, it was so, I was biting them and eating them. And they were so good that I couldn't stop giggling. Like it was, just, it was just that good. Like I, 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 I was just kept giggling, and like everyone's laughing at me. Like, 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 like those brownies must be hella good. I'm like, yeah, these brownies are that damn good. Cause I was like moving around, giggling, and like doing little dances. At one point, I had to hug the cook, right? And there's not like a lot of hugging in prison. Uh, especially like black dudes hugging white dudes, but I was like, it, it's time. It, like, it's time to take the risk of us getting stabbed to death for these brownies. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, like no one's getting stabbed in San Quentin for that. But uh, that's gonna become like a, a, a tradition for me, like just like coming together with uh, with friends and like just doing something together. Like I'm not big on like Thanksgiving itself. Like there's a whole lot of uh, stuff around that. But I do believe in, like, you know, uh, 
community and family and that's my time for that every year I will find a time to like integrate in my community and be doing something Yeah, I think I'm similar to both of you guys, like especially what Rasan said about, you know, us, uh, a lot of traditions like revolving around food, like in prison, like I feel like that's all we have to like celebrate around is like food. And so like now, you know, especially being since being at San Quentin, um, I look for reasons to like, you know, let's get together, let's all pull our food and let's cook together and let's just have this big celebration and everybody leave full and happy. So I like to leave like these celebrations to where I'm so full when I get back to the sale, like only thing I'm forced to do is sleep. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. that's why like, so like say for instance, like on a birthday or Thanksgiving, especially with Christmas coming up, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like everybody's going to get together. We're going to like figure out like how much is it going to, first we're going to figure out like how many people it's going to be, who's all going to put in. So if it's going to be 15 people, for for the, for for people listening, what does it mean to put in in prison? And and so putting in like means like if it's if it's fifteen people, how much food do we need to feed all fifteen people, right? So we figure out like oh it's probably gonna pay, cost about eighty bucks for us to get. So it's probably gonna cost like eighty bucks for us to get like enough food, enough chips, enough meats, enough cheeses to like make like four or five burritos and like a side of chips and like one or two sodas for like 15 dudes, right? Like this is what it's going to cost. And so around, you know, holidays, like that's what we do. We figure out like how much it's going to cost. We get everything together and we make burritos and we eat and we get full. Let me ask you something, right? Uh, one thing that seemed to, for me to change from being incarcerated, from being free. How many people remember you on the holidays nowadays? Um, I don't know. Usually for me, it's me figuring out, uh, reaching out to people, as it is, it's harder for people to reach out to me. So it usually revolves around like how many people I consistently reach out to. And it's usually like my mom, my aunt, and like my brothers. Yeah. What about you? For, for me, uh, I used to send out like maybe 20, 30 cards on Christmas. I would get like two back. <laughs> After like 10 years of doing that, I said, forget them, mother suckers. Mm. Um, I always just stopped doing it. But the only good thing about the holidays, the, the way I, I can kind of insert myself in, 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 into my family's um, gatherings on the street is that they always pile up at my step pop's house. Everybody's gonna be there. My brothers, my sons, cousins you haven't spoke to in thirty years. Mm -hmm. Everybody's gonna be there, and I, I would I call there, and I, they in fifteen minutes. You got fifteen minutes. 
I would talk to each person for maybe like a minute, 30 seconds, just pass the phone. Who else is there? Who else is there? Pass the phone to him. Pass the phone to him. Who else is there? Who else is there? And so, so that's one of the things I like to do. But uh, other than that, 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 that car right there, uh, I feel pretty forgotten about, man. The, the car, the only, only one that's going to send a car is my aunt. You know what I mean? We have Traditions was produced by Shadid Wallace Stepter, Rasan Thomas, and Emil DeWeaver. Reporters inside San Quentin State Prison and the elected officers of the San Quentin chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists. I recorded the holiday carols inside the prison cell blocks. Life of the Law senior producer is Tony Gannon. We want to thank Lieutenant Sam Robinson and Ron Davis, warden of San Quentin State Prison, for making this episode possible. Our post-production editors are Kirsten Jesuits Heidel and Rachel Kane. Rob Spade of KQED in San Francisco is our engineer. If you're curious about the law and like binge listening, tune into Life of the Law on iTunes. We have more than 120 amazing episodes about people and the law. Take a few minutes to post your review, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. Each time we publish a new episode, we send everyone who's subscribed to our newsletter a behind-the-scenes look at life of the law, including notes from our reporters and our listeners. We're a nonprofit project of the Tide Center, and we're part of the Panoply Network of Podcasts. You can also find Life of the Law on PRX Public Radio Exchange. We're funded by the Law and Society Association, the National Science Foundation, and by you. Visit our website lifeofthelaw.org and make a very much appreciated donation to help pay for the direct costs of producing our episodes. Next on Life of the Law, a very special Christmas Day reprise episode. Although I was separated from my own children during my incarceration, I have found myself being a surrogate father to so many young prisoners who have also become my surrogate sons. That's coming up, a special Christmas Day reprise episode here at Life of the Law. I'm Nancy Mullane. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.